0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field and deep. Geyer to the wall. Rays win. Rays win. Rays win. D-Man Toy
2: with a two-run walk off home run. The Rays winning ways here at Tropicana Field continue.
1: Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Bounce towards first and through a base hit right field. He's going to take a turnaround first and try for second. Here comes the throw by Gretzik. He is safe at second base. A hustle double for Kiermaier. Here's your host, Neil Solon's
0: Good morning and welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with Joey Wendell and discuss his solid start. We'll chat about this road trip with Doug Wector of Fox Sports Sun. Infield prospect Taylor Walls will join us from Port Charlotte. Sam Byerly of Baseball Ops will discuss some of the current COVID challenges. And Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay will be on by to discuss the awareness Brandon and Madison Lau are helping with. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is one Joey Wendell. Joey, uh, thanks very much for joining us. You have been off to a very consistent start so far. Are things on the field and even in the clubhouse starting to feel more normal than they did when you even began summer camp
3: back in July? Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, we've been doing this since July, so we're, we're getting used to it to some extent. I mean, is it strange being at Fenway Park with no fans? Absolutely. I was thinking, you know, when uh, Martinez hit that Grand Slam, I was thinking that, that place would have been absolutely rocking. But, you know, right after that, the token fan noise went right back down to where it had been the whole game. So it, it's still definitely different. And, you know, I think in every new stadium we're going to play in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit different. But we are starting to get used to it to some extent, just some of the protocols and understanding that we're able to do some things but not other things, um, it's definitely something that we're all getting a little bit more comfortable with, I think.
0: Are you, in terms of the play on the field, has it felt more normal? Um, Is that different
3: still at all to you? I think that's probably the the most normal thing, just because baseball is baseball. You know, the, the fans are a huge, huge part of the game, and I don't want to devalue that, but you know, when you're playing, you're trying to focus on on just the game and what's happening between the lines. So, you know, I'll have people come to watch me play and they'll say, well, did you hear us screaming for you? And I I say, no, no, I didn't. Like, I'm just, you know, I'm focused on what's going on between the lines. And I I think that's still the case now. Like I said, it's it's still strange. Uh, We still notice that there's nobody there. We still notice that you know some guys are wearing masks um, so it's it's definitely a little bit different, but I think for me, the most normal part of it is is what happens between the lines
0: what has the biggest adjustment been for you personally
3: uh, i mean i would I would probably have to say like off the field things just. In terms of uh, what I'm able to do and not do with my family, and you know, we've been kind of confined to to our apartment building and and the pool that's attached to it. Um, So we've been trying to really limit limit our exposure to the outside world or to the virus, I guess, um, just because we know the consequences of it are. Not playing for an extended period of time and while potentially infecting other players, so um, I would just have to say that things like that, off the field stuff, that's been the, the biggest adjustment for me.
0: You elected to bring your family, Lindsay and the and the boys, down with you. I know some everyone was different in terms of their choices. Why was it important to you, and how hard has it been for them?
3: Sure. I mean, for me and my family is my first priority um, in front of baseball. We made a decision a long time ago in our marriage that we were going to do anything we could to stay together as much as we possibly could. So, um, and that that rings true whether it's um, during a pandemic or not. So we have a, a very young one and then a two-year-old. So it's certainly a lot of work for my wife, and she's taking the brunt of this uh, this virus stuff. She's she's alone right now. So you know, I, I wanted to make sure that that we were good on the home front and that we were that I was helping as much as I possibly could whenever I could, and uh, and that we that we stayed together
0: how has uh how much do you think that 's helped at least when you 're home i 'd like to think i i 'd like to think I'm helpful, well, but, i 'm helpful and uh, for you personally too the mental sure, part yeah
3: yeah i mean that 's part of my day that I love is, is coming home to to my family and um you know I think that has been, been one of the things that that feels normal is coming coming back and and spending time with my children and with my wife so it's it 's been really important for me, and like I said earlier i hope it 's been a little at least slightly helpful to my wife as well. <laughs> I'm sure. And
0: from a field standpoint, you guys can't use in-game video. And I've heard a lot of guys talk about the challenges of that. How mm-hmm. challenging has it been for you and how much were you normally using it in a game?
3: I would say in some ways it's actually worked to, to my benefit because I, I think there are some guys who, who maybe um, use it too much and, and think about it, analyze it too much. And if there was a pitch that I thought was a ball and I go up and look in video and I'd confirm that it was a ball, you know, that then then I'm likely to a little short or maybe uh not not so fair to the umpire after that so i I think there are some things that you just kind of have to let go we all played this game for a very long time without in-game video um but it is something that is difficult to kind of go backwards on there are definitely um some challenges involved with that. I mean, that, that's how we learn. That's how we get instant feedback. Um, and once you've been used to that, it's a little bit difficult to go back, though so I think we're, we're all kind of adjusting it. And my hope is that we kind of have uh, some kind of a happy, happy middle ground where we can go back and look at some things in game. And you know, maybe we compromise in another area or something like that, because I do think it is crucial in game. And that's how we you know, how we make adjustments and how we learn.
0: As you have to deal with what is, though, does it force you and others, do you think, to be more locked in to all kinds of different cues, things that you're seeing?
3: Yeah, I think in some ways it does. But also, um, for, for me, it just it reinforces just the, the kind of just forget about what just happened and focus on the now, focus on what's next instead of reliving that that backdoor slider that didn't get quite back over the plate that you know that you're frustrated about for three innings now it's just doesn't matter like forget about it move on you don't have a chance to look at it on a video you don't have a chance to get upset about it again it's just just move on focus on focus on the now and you know that that's important for baseball because it's a a very difficult game mentally um and and when you start thinking about things that happened a couple innings ago then it's going to affect your performance now so you know i I think for me it's the, the biggest thing is just kind of move on and and don't focus on what happened in the past
0: you know with all the differences in the game you probably get a different perspective in some ways and what I mean by that is you're not in the dugout when you're not playing Um, (laughs) where do you stand and are there vantage points in the ballpark that give you a better line maybe than you would have if you were in the dugout
3: yeah I I think it is uh, it is a little bit different sitting in the stands at Fenway um, as opposed to in the dugout I mean I think we get so used to to being right on top of the action that when you're actually able to kind of step away and sit back for a little bit. It almost brings back like childhood memories of like watching baseball games. Our food room here is like up in the concourse outside you know, it sounds goofy, but we don't ever get to go up in the concourse of stadiums. Like, we're just to the clubhouse and back. And as a fan, that's like, you're like, oh my goodness, like, I wonder what's up that tunnel. Like, I wonder, like, what happens when you go back in that tunnel and you go into that clubhouse, how cool that would be. But you kind of forget that it, the fan experience is really cool, too. So I, I don't know if I'd say I, I, I've enjoyed that aspect of it. I mean, I'd much rather be in the dugout with my teammates the whole time. But especially here in, here at uh, Fenway, where the dugouts are so small, if we're not playing, you know, we're going to Try to be conscious of that and uh, and be off in the bleachers.
0: Can you see different things from a different angle of of the stadium? It, does it allow you to see anything in a different way that can
3: help you? Uh, I, I I wouldn't really say so. I mean, I feel like probably your best view is gonna be right right on top of the game. I would say maybe from a perspective standpoint of just being thankful of what we get to do every day, but I wouldn't say from a performance standpoint, no.
0: You know, we talked a little bit about your family and the value of having them with you. I, I'm told by several guys who've kind of praised the, the way that you've um, kind of um, helped people adjust to being part of the race family. Ryan Thompson mentioned for one. What types of things have you done with younger players to help them feel comfortable because, you know, they're coming from a very unique situation too in Port Charlotte right now.
3: I just think about Ryan and, and where he's come from and, you know, his career has taken a lot of lot of turns and injuries and getting Rule 5 and everything like that. So, I you know, I just want to make sure that he's comfortable where he is. And as an organization, we really do a good job of that, of placing – Young players in a in a place where they feel like they can succeed. So if I can if I can help that out at all, if I can make somebody feel a little bit more comfortable or answer any questions that they have, you know, I feel like that's a that's an important part of performing at a young age. Um, and and when you don't have a lot of service time, I know when I was. When I was coming up and and I was with Oakland at the time, and I remember there was a couple older guys who I felt comfortable going to and asking questions and saying, hey, like, should I do this? Should I not do that? Most of it, honestly, was off the field stuff, but just, um, you know, some situations that may arise that either I didn't know what to do or I didn't feel comfortable with, and it was always helpful to have kind of just somebody who I could be like, hey, like what? What's going on? What, what do I do here? You know, I, I guess I'm just mindful of that. And, and if anybody um, takes any comfort in knowing that I answer whatever questions that they have the best I can, then, then uh, you know, I'm happy to be that guy.
0: Who were the guys who made you feel most comfortable? Who were those guys who kind of eased you in and helped you feel like you belonged?
3: There's a few that come to mind. I mean, Stephen Vogt was one uh, who was there in Oakland when I first got caught up. I know you, you're probably familiar with him. Uh, Marcus Simeon was another one. Sean Doolittle was another one. Uh, those, those are just a couple of names that stand out. I'm sure there was a handful of other guys who were helpful in that transition. But those were guys where I felt, you know, they, they were approachable um, at the time. I I saw them all as veterans or all guys who had been around the block to some extent. So those are, those are the three guys that come to mind for me.
0: Vodi's one of the all-time good guys in this game. I don't <laughs> think there's any question.
3: Yeah. Yes. When, he is.
0: Was there anyone who particularly made you feel comfortable here? I know you had already had big league experience when you came.
3: Yeah, I, honestly, everybody. <laughs> um, I mean,. Right, right from the staff to to all the players. I mean, I I felt just comfortable here in day three. Um, you know, as maybe I ever did with with the other organizations that I play with, and I think that's just a, a testament to how things are how things are done here, and you know how they make all the young players feel here. It's it's a fun environment. Um, it's a relatively loose environment, although uh, you know there, there's certainly a time you know where, where we where we get down and we work hard and we have to buckle down. But I, I think it's a um, it's a great environment for, for young players to learn the, the ins and outs of, of being a major leaguer. So um, for me, I'm certainly thankful that I got the opportunity to play here relatively young in my career. One of the
0: challenges that, you know, that I heard, at the, even at the beginning of summer camp, was how do we keep the game? We're a fun, loose bunch. How do we keep the game fun? Are there certain things that you guys have done with all the protocols that have allowed for, whether it's you know the the, the non-touching handshakes or whatever it is, <laughs> or, or silly things that you guys are doing that, keep
3: it loose? I'd say the biggest thing to keep it loose is just to win. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I say that half jokingly, but it's really hard to to stay loose and have fun uh, when you're not winning. So I, I think starting to play better baseball and starting to um, win some baseball games has been the, the biggest ingredient in that, you know, you can you can try to have fun and you can try to keep it loose when you're losing games you know, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really sit that well. So yeah. And, and, and you know, I think a lot of that comes from the top down and, you know, we didn't start out quite the way we wanted to, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody was really, really panicking. Um, although it was definitely uncharted waters there when, you know, we were, we were not playing well in a 60 game season. Um, you know, usually over the course of 162, you can just kind of take the, well, this is, this is going to iron out approach. Um, not so much when it's only 60 games. So thankfully we've, we've got things rolling again and hopefully we can keep it going.
0: couple of curious, questions since you guys are basically holed up in a hotel when you're on the road what did you bring on the road with you for the trip that keeps your mind occupied uh, during the day
3: I I brought a couple books Um, I have my Bible which I always travel with I have an iPad and then you know I spend a a good bit of time facetiming with my family and then just trying to kind of stay loose I worked out the other day in my hotel room but yeah I've just been been reading um, maybe watch a show here or there and mentally preparing for the game. <laughs> what, are, what are you reading? I got a book here, it's called The Gospel of P- According to Paul uh, by John McCarthy. There's another, another book, I'm not sure the name of it, that, I, that I'm also starting now. So, trying to stay busy, I guess.
0: <laughs> not easy, you didn't bring video games. You were against the, you're not a gamer at
3: all. I feel like all those controllers have too many buttons, so I, I don't know, they just give me a headache <laughs> whenever I play them. <laughs>
0: How do you feel at this point um, about the, overall mix of the group. I know there were such high expectations going into you know, February and March. And then there was still a feeling, hey, we can still be very good in a 60 game season. What's your feel? You guys have had to deal with a fair amount of adversity.
3: Um, I really do think we're starting to come together as a team. And that's something that really, I feel like can only happen over the course of real actual games. I mean, you can, you can get to know each other a little bit in spring, but until you've been out on the field with each other, until you kind of see how you react to certain situations and, and how guys are in the clubhouse when they're playing well when they're playing poorly. I mean, I think it's, you know, something that kind of comes with with time. And I think we are starting to come together as a team and seeing, you know, how the new pieces fit in. And and it's been really fun, especially the past uh, eight or nine games or so.
0: Next week, you go to New York, the last, you know, part of this road trip, uh, your longest one that you're gonna have. You've already been to Fenway without fans. Do you think playing in those ballparks is any easier or, or is it harder not having to deal with the fan noise and all that sort of stuff?
3: I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily say it's it's harder or easier, although I, I would have to say that the advantage probably goes to to, to the visiting team just because that, that home team is always used to, to that environment. Um, and, and, you know, they, they feed off of that. And like I told you, you know, with that Grand Slam that was hit last night, like that would have had that place rocking. And I've always thought Fenway is one of the hardest places to close out a game just because of that that environment, that atmosphere that they bring, you know, regardless of what the scores, you know in the eighth and ninth inning that those fans are going to be, are going to be bringing the heat. So, you know, with those teams not having that, I think it, it becomes a little bit more of a neutral setting. It becomes a slight advantage to, to the visiting team over what it would normally be.
0: Well, hopefully this group continues to feed off whatever's got it going right now. Joey, we certainly appreciate some time on this week in Rays Baseball and wish you a lot of success going forward.
3: All right, Neil, thank you.
0: That's Joey Wendell, and we'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Oh, well, we continue on this week in race baseball. We appreciate Joey Wendell being with us and joining us now is Doug Wechter from Fox Sports Sun. Doug, thanks for being with us this morning. Absolutely,
1: Neil. Anytime, buddy.
0: Tell me first uh, your take. This has been a, a generally a
1: pretty good start to this road trip, especially with what went on in Boston. How much do you think that did for the confidence of the team? Oh, I think it was huge. I, I think that by the end of the year, you're going to look back to that Boston series and maybe even go back to the Yankee series prior to that. But I would say the Boston series for sure. And say that's where the Rays found their offense, found their timing. I mean, it's just been such a crazy year in 2020. And, you know, the shortened spring camp or summer camp, you can call it, uh, the shortened amount of reps that these batters are seeing. And with the pitchers, too. I mean, nobody's gotten the amount of work in that they're used to. And we saw that in the first couple weeks of the season. But I think at that Boston Red Sox series, you know, it was a little bit of a mixture where Boston's down this year, obviously. They're they're not a great team. And uh, the Rays just went out there and took care of business in a big way. And I think because of that, they're going to roll with that confidence and momentum, and uh, that's where we're going to look back to and say, you know, that's the Rays that, uh, that we expected to see in 2020, and that's when we started seeing them play the way we knew they could. As big a step forward as it was for the offense, I would think that Blake Snell returning to Blake Snell might have been just as or more important to this team going forward. 100%. 100% agreed with you. Uh, you know, he was – last year, uh, he was good at times and he wasn't good at times. And he has injury plagued. I mean, it was a rough 2019 for Blake, knowing how, uh, how much he can add to a roster when he's healthy and throwing well. So, you know, 2019 was tough on him. Uh, You go back to 2018, and obviously he was outstanding. I mean, the Cy young award winner, and that's the guy who we anticipated and hoped that could come into 2020 and uh, take care of business. And what we saw from Blake last time out is that pitcher. I mean, he was dominant with his fastball, pitching off that fastball, 95 to 97 miles an hour, putting it where he wanted to, attacking the zone. Uh, I thought the location was much better. We've seen his stuff the entire year, but it wasn't located well yet. Uh, now that he's stretched out a little bit more, now that he's locating the fastball well, and he's utilizing the secondary pitches, I mean, this guy, he is primed to have, you know, a fantastic rest of the 2020 year. It
0: wasn't a huge step forward for Tyler Glassnell, but did you see some step in the right direction for him?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, you know, with Tyler, it's a little bit different because he is a younger guy. He has so much potential and so much stuff. It's just about generating that stuff with the right – Mechanics and delivery through home plate. Uh, with him, none of it's you know a confidence thing. None of it's mental. I think he just scuffled a little bit last time out and last couple times out, and I think that's due 100. percent I think we even talked about it, Neil, before this. Um, I, I think it's due because he missed some time, you know, going down with COVID, and then you know missing some time in summer camp, and just really hasn't been able to get out there in a good routine. Uh, I think there's just a couple small adjustments that he can make, and look, this guy is awesome when it comes to understanding mechanics, knowing his mechanics and what goes wrong and what goes right and how to fix his delivery. I mean, he and Kyle Snyder, they work together and they work very hard on getting things right. And I guarantee you that, you know, the next time out, next couple times out, he's going to be making some adjustments and he's not far off from where we need him to be. And I think that uh, when he goes out there these next couple times, we can expect him and anticipate him to be you know, that Tyler Glass now that we saw all of last year. Speaking of the impact of COVID, you could argue Yanni Chirinos, you know, the
0: setback that he had with his triceps soreness which might have been due to missing some time during
1: summer camp and he comes back today. What's a reasonable expectation? Uh, you know, I would say just go out there honestly. I don't even know if I want to put a number on the innings. Obviously, he's not going to be stretched out. You just want him to go out there, be comfortable, attack hitters, look healthy right look like he has healthy stuff good stuff low 90s fastball with heavy sink uh that split finger coming behind it and then some of those sliders we just want to see him healthy moving forward because the health of the team and really the health of the staff is uh something that they are not so much concerned about but they really got to pay attention to right now because you got a couple guys that have been You know down with injury and you know with only about what a month month and a half left uh you need these guys on the mound you need them healthy so i would consider cash going in there tomorrow or i'm sorry today and just be on the cautious side not let him go too deep into the game but as long as his stuff is good and he's healthy uh, you know he can get some quick outs i mean he can throw that bowling ball sinker right down the middle and get those ground balls and do some double plays maybe get three four innings out of him and you know, who knows? But uh, I think as long as he walks off the mound healthy, I think the Rays will be happy.
0: And on that end, it may be the midway point of the season or slightly beyond that that the Rays have Morton back with Chirinos, Glassnow, Yarborough, Snell, and have all five of them close to stretched out, which is, you know, it, it gives you, if they can just kind of survive this
1: period right now, it gives you a lot of hope for the second half of the season. Oh. agree with you. And you know, every championship team goes through something like this. No, typically, it's during the course of uh, 162 games and not 60 games. So obviously, everything is expedited, everything is compacted into a very small schedule, and every day counts. So the quicker you can get through this and get these guys back healthy and get them out throwing, and I mean, hopefully stretched out, I mean, the better it's going to be for the Rays. And we all know the potential of the staff. You know, the bullpen is there. And by the way, the bullpen's been doing a phenomenal job of picking up uh, where some of these guys have gotten injured, the they next man up kind of mentality doing a great job. So I think if the staff can just get healthy overall, it bodes extremely well for the second half of this season because we see what the offense is doing. The Rays
0: don't have to face a Yankee team with Judge or Stanton this week. How
1: big yeah. is the series in general? Oh, well, first of all, the series is enormous. I mean, you go in there and you're obviously able to go head-to-head with the number one team in the division or right there with the number one team in the division see who can come out on top. So it's very exciting baseball. It's going to be really good baseball. Uh, Both teams are playing very, very well. Just the talent level on the field will be a lot of fun to watch, but now you're talking about two of their main guys going down with injury and Judge and Stanton. And, you know, honestly, looking at the seasons and looking at – the resume and the history, you would assume that those guys, unfortunately, would go down at some point in time with probably something small, and you hate to say that, but you know that's just what's happened over the last few years. These guys have been injury plagued. Uh, obviously, it's a it's a very serious situation to miss any time in 60 game season. So, uh, with those two guys out, you know it's a totally different lineup for the Yankees, but it's still a very potent lineup. So, it'll be a lot of fun to watch uh very excited about that series coming in and you know or going to new york and it'll be nice to see the Rays have an off day going into that series because i think they can really you know refresh regroup and focus in on what they have to do.
0: well let's see if the race can end on a high note before that doug we appreciate some time
1: today on this week in race baseball anything for you neil
0: and that's doug wechter of fox sports sun before we continue let's pause for station identification on the race baseball network
1: WTAE St. Petersburg, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and W237CW Pinellas Park.
0: Well, we continue on this week in Race Baseball in time to head down to Port Charlotte and chat with a guy who has twice been the Rays Defensive Player of the Year on the minor league system, and that is Taylor Walls. Taylor, thanks very much for joining us, and tell us what it's meant to be
2: part of the 60-player pool for the Rays. It's not a lot, you know, just being able to have an environment that's as game-like as possible, you know, I mean, of the circumstances that we're in. You know, it's a blessing just to be here, you know, have the opportunity to try to get better every day with the resources we have here, the facilities that, you know, in a lot of other places you don't have or they're not open for you to use. So, I mean, it's very nice being able to have somewhere to go.
0: How did you handle things, first of all, during the pandemic? What did you do to keep in shape? Because everyone had very unique circumstances.
2: Right. Uh, I just kind of treated it like it was an extended offseason. Kind of went back into, you know, how I kind of prepared for the spring training 1.0, I guess. And uh, just kind of stayed in my routine, Try to get as many live at-bats as possible, you know, depending on how many pitchers we had available in the area. Uh, just try to keep working and try to make everything as game-like as it would be.
0: It was your first uh, big league spring training this year. So were there things that you learned that helped you as you kind of got ready during that, almost off-season 2.0?
2: Yeah, just kind of more as how you work, not how much you work. You know, I kind of struggled a little bit at the plate in big league camp. I thought it was some of the things that I was doing mentally at the plate. I feel like defensively, I was fine. I feel like, you know, there's always things that you can improve on or plays that, you know, you can work harder to make. There, I felt fine, but at the plate, I, I needed to be a little more aggressive, hunt pitches a little more, be a little more, I guess, just really aggressive in hitter's counts and looking to draw balls.
0: Tell me what you've learned so far in this summer camp. How have you grown, do you think?
2: Really in that area. that uh, That's the area I came in, and me and Dan DeVent, the hitting coach here, really wanted to pinpoint and focus on just the mentality going up to the plate. You know, how to how to turn whether, you know, your swing feels good or not, turn that switch off and just compete when you get in the box and know what you're looking for and being ready for it when it comes. So, I mean, really just the mental aspect of you know, stepping in the box and trying to own that bat is really what I've worded on.
0: You're facing all kinds of guys. You've got guys who have gone now gone to the big leagues, like Ryan Thompson mm-hmm. and John Curtis and Aaron Slagers, uh, guys who have tremendous stuff, the McClanahan's and Ryan's and bosses of the world. How has that helped you, just seeing all kinds of different arms?
2: At first it was it was kind of tough, you know, just seeing all these guys, but now it's normal. So, I mean, I. I think it's a good thing seeing all the, you know, knowing that this staff here is unbelievable. And now it's it's becoming normal to hitters. You know, it's not, nobody's making excuses like, oh, th- these guys are good, you know, it's okay if we fail. No, nah, I mean, everybody's here try- is trying to compete, regardless of who's on the mound, whether, you know, how good the staff is or how bad they are. I mean, we know they're good, but it makes us be better. So, I mean, I love to compete, and I think everybody here does. You
0: mentioned the work that you've done with Dan DeMette. Is there more one-on-one work there than, let's say, there would be in a regular season if you were in Montgomery or Durham?
2: Uh, Yeah, 100%, just because, you know, I guess the the player-coach ratio here is a little greater than it would be, you know, like in Montgomery where it's just, you know, you and Nelly in the cage, but he has the entire team to hit with. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you definitely have more one-on-one time. You have your days to where, you know, it's just you and him in the cage for early work. Uh, Everything's, you know, the time is, not something that's very scarce here so I mean you know we're, we're we're in there and you got all the time you need to prepare how you want to prepare so I, I feel like it's a great time to you know if you have small adjustments you're trying to make to really tackle them and get ahead of it
0: you mentioned the fact that you get the opportunity to compete what are the games like and how helpful are those to you versus let's say the drill work that you're doing
2: it, they've kind of switched up a little since we first started at first it was more of just trying to get guys at bats, you know, trying to really just fill every spot defensively, whether it was a coach in left field or a coach at first base. And now we're trying to shift it more into, you know, an actual game-like situation where you're playing defense, you're in the dugout hitting, your defense hitting. So, I mean, it's, it's getting competitive. MJ and, and all the staffs doing a great job of, of making everybody compete. You know, make. I think all the guys here are, you know, not guys you really got to amp up or – you know try to convince them to you know let's go let's go get it today every guy here wants it every time they're out there on the field nobody's taking anything lightly so it's a really good good group of guys that are competing every day
0: for our fans who don't know you're a switch hitter so do you get enough at bats like normally you're getting four or five at bats a day are you getting enough at bats uh as you would during a regular season in these setups
2: uh yeah honestly yeah i I think i'm getting more at bats here than i would be in a regular season i mean we're getting Minimum, th- at the beginning when pitchers weren't really building up as much, we might get two or three. Now we're up to four to six a day. I've been very fortunate to have as many lefties as we do on staff here to get a lot of right-handed at-bats. For me as a switch hitter, and I guess more of the other guys here too, it's very hard to, to feel comfortable righty going into a season because in spring training you might only get four or five at-bats and then the season starts. So uh, having that balance of a lot of lefties here, getting a lot of righty at-bats has been really helpful. Do
0: you talk a lot with the other switch hitters? It's you, Brujan, Franco, Fox. I mean, that's a lot of switch hitters for in terms right. of prospects. How much do you help each other in terms of feel?
2: Everybody talks to everybody here. As far as it goes about switch hitting, I mean, guys, just, guys are different. I mean, some guys try to do the same thing both ways. Some guys treat it like two separate swings. I'm one of those guys to where it might look similar, but to me in my head, it's two completely different swings. So, I mean. We talk about it here and there, not so much, though. I mean, more of it's just cutting up, having fun, you know, just trying to help each other and be good teammates.
0: And obviously competing all the way, too. John Curtis told me before he got called up that he made or you made the best defensive plays ever seen behind him. So tell me what that play was, since obviously you got a great rep defensively.
2: I think it was a runner-on first. We were double-played down. Shaded slightly to the right-hand side. I think it was a right-handed hitter. I think it was Franco, actually. They hit a ball to my right, and I kind of went backhand I kind of caught it. it was one of those that was a little deep so I had to kind of catch it and spin towards the outfield and we ended up turning double play on it so it was uh just one of those instinctive plays somehow I made it somehow
0: with, with so many yeah. shortstops do you are you guys all playing second short third and getting work there knowing that if you're going to help the Rays this year it would be at multiple spots
2: right yeah every I mean we're doing a really good job here trying to make every player as versatile as they can get I know there's a bunch of guys that have been infielders all their lives that are getting a lot of reps in the outfield. Or a lot of guys like me who have played shortstop all their lives, getting more reps at third and second. and Just being ready to where if if we do get that call, you know, we're not a sit and duck at a position that we have never played before. So, I mean, definitely getting reps at multiple positions.
0: And tell me um, in terms of this whole experience for you, what it's been like in terms of the off field and how careful you've been since this all started because for each player you have so much individual responsibility.
2: Pretty easy, honestly. I, I don't think Port Charlotte's a, a place to where it's kind of tough to get in trouble, I guess. But, you know, everybody does their part here that I know of. And, that, I mean, we all try to, you know, keep each other accountable. No, I mean, nobody's really hanging out with anybody besides guys that we're in the field with. Rarely doing much off the field. You know, we're doing a good job of getting, keeping family and, you know, wives, girlfriends tested here. And so everybody's kind of doing their part, wearing their mask when they need to go out in public somewhere. You know, on, on off days, maybe we play around the golf, but it's just within the guys that, you know, we're at the field with every day. So we're, we're definitely being careful and, you know, watching out.
0: Yeah, you've all seen what's happened to the Marlins, the Cardinals, et cetera, and even Cleveland. Two guys straight and they right. had to be quarantined. Um, and how, you mentioned wives and girlfriends. You got married in the off season, So how has this been for Haley? And what was the extra time like that you guys got at home before coming
2: back to camp? It was, it was great. We actually, uh, we went back to Tallahassee because that's where I kind of get used or prepared for spring training for. And we actually started work camping there So because we live in an RV here. And uh, we started, like, helping out around an RV park. And then in exchange, they would let us stay, like, rent-free. And so it was fun. We got to uh, do a lot of, like, yard work, cleaning up the campground together. It was interesting. So it was uh, a lot of time together with me and her. Who's the better cook? I don't know. I'm going to have to go with myself on that one. She's She's been doing some more experimenting lately, you know, di- trying different recipes, which I'm happy with. Everything's turned out great. It's just really her, her motivation to cook is, used to not be there, it's getting there though.
0: And your favorite dish to cook is what? I'm
2: gonna have to go with, and I guess I call it hamburger and macaroni, but traditionally people call it hamburger helper.
3: <laughs> well, hopefully I'm you keep
2: something easy.
0: There you go. Well, hopefully you keep cooking on the field. We've heard really good things about the way you've played down at Port Charlotte. Keep it up, and hopefully we we'll see you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it, Neil. Thank you. That is prospect Taylor Walls, defensive player of the year in the race system the last two years. Coming up on This Week in Race Baseball, Sam Byerly from the front office, and learn how Brandon and Madison Low are helping the crisis center of Tampa Bay. This is the Race Baseball Network. But well, we continue on this weekend, in Rays Baseball, and we take a look again at Inside Baseball Operations, and joining me, the manager of baseball administration for the Rays, and that's Sam Byerly. Sam, thanks very much for a few minutes. First of all, how are you? How's your health? And how has everything gone for you the last several months?
4: I cannot complain. I'm healthy. I'm home with my dog and working. That's been keeping me busy, so I have no complaints.
0: You have probably one of the more important jobs in all of this. You've been kind of consuming, interpreting, managing all the COVID processes that the Rays have had to handle. How did that come about that you started handling it, and what's been the greatest challenge?
4: So my job in a normal year (laughs) is to help with uh, roster management, with our player contracts. Um, Those are sort of the two main pieces of my role, knowing the rules, um, making sure the roster moves we make are within the rules, um, kind of keeping everyone on track there and having some knowledge of the CBA. Um, I will never say I have the CBA memorized, but um, having a <laughs> an understanding of it. And so this year, there's a whole manual just specific to 2020 on the, the various transaction rule changes and Also with regards to player compensation, so managing those changes um, with the prorated salaries and and all of that and just just trying to have an understanding of how things are different and how they affect the roster and um, what we're able to do, what we're not able to do um, within the limits of 2020.
0: And how does that all tie into the work you're doing regarding the COVID processes? Is, is that all the, the salary or do you actually have to help too with some of the uh, protocols or involvement in there?
4: Um, yes and no. Pretty much just the protocols specific to rosters and, and transactions. So placing people on the COVID IL, COVID related IL, I guess that's the official name for it. Keeping tabs on where our player pool is at, more, more along the lines of rosters and transactions, obviously that sort of naturally involves knowing about the intake and the testing process and all of that because that, that comes into play. If someone is goes on a special list and they travel, leave the country, when they come back in, they have to go through intake again. Um, so being aware of those sorts of things too um, and, and how it affects our roster if this person is expected to be gone three days in a normal year for paternity leave for example but they leave the country when they come back that's two extra days that they'll be gone um, because they have to go through that intake process so that's probably the easiest example of how those things interact with each other
0: and you had an example recently where manuel margot went on the bereavement list and then had to have intake testing when he came back from the dominican republic too so if there's another exactly. real life example how often are you then calling Major League Baseball and asking questions? Is, is everything fairly clear or are there a lot of areas that are somewhat hazy?
4: It's, I, I would say I'm on the phone some weeks with MLB twice a day, other weeks, not so much. There's a lot of phone calls to, um, to MLB just to, just to make sure we're announcing things properly, making sure that if we lose this, if, if we do this, can we do this later? What are, you know, um, I personally always want to be sure that what I'm telling our group, we can do, we can do. I feel like it's always better to ask and just make sure you've got it right. And I, they're super patient. I, I think they appreciate that we want to do it right. Like I, I told you before we started, they just, I, I'm amazed that when they pick up the phone, they're not like, hey, Sammy, what do you need today? (laughs) They're just like, hey, Sammy, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good, (laughs) everything's fine. Thanks for being happy to talk on the phone with me and answer this question I've probably asked you before. But, so yeah, no, they're great.
0: And you actually took a contract law uh, class while this whole pandemic is going on. Was that tied to this or just further aspirations in baseball ops?
4: Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I have thought about law school just because it does lend itself very well to my Baseball Ops position, just with handling contracts. It it would possibly open more of a door to handle some negotiations and give me a little bit of a leg up there. I could probably figure it out (laughs) Um, just with learning, and and Eric, everyone is really great about Letting me just observe and and learn as much as I can. There's no never been a, a door closed if I've asked about learning more about something. But a law degree is something I could see doing, and I just wanted to take a contracts law course just to <laughs> see if it was interesting, and i I've, I've enjoyed it. So we'll see. Not, e-
0: not easy to balance the two, I'm sure. How did you get into baseball ops to begin with? Because you took probably a different path than most. You actually started, you were with the Rays before moving into baseball ops.
4: Yes, yeah, so I started in sales. I started in a seasonal ticket sales role, and I will still contend that that is the hardest job I think (laughs) you can ever do. If you see that on someone's resume, just be like, okay, this person can handle anything that's thrown at them. So I did that for six months, it was a seasonal role and then switched over to services. And then I I got really lucky with timing. A position opened up in amateur scouting. The woman, Nancy, who had been there before um, was leaving and they were looking internally for someone to fill her spot and HR approached me about it. And I was like, yes, I would love to to get into baseball ops. That's That's a hard department to crack into if you don't have A specialization of some kind, and that wasn't ever really in my line of (laughs) career sight. But when that position opened up, I jumped at it and had a really great experience working in amateur. Um, I love our scouting group. We have such a wonderful group of guys. And um, let me see. I did three drafts. I think I did three drafts. And then, um, again, got a little lucky with some timing. Um, with Sandy Dangler retiring, that position opened up and was able to apply and um, keep going. So I'll just stay as long as lucky me because I like it here, so.
0: <laughs> where, where did you get bit by the baseball bug? Because you played club sports growing up, right?
4: I played softball and volleyball um, in high school. I, I don't know, my, my mom was asking me about this recently. We've always been a baseball family. I grew up in Dallas. But for some reason, we weren't football people. We always went to Rangers games. That was our, our thing. My dad's a huge Cubs fan. I probably shouldn't say that, but um, huge Cubs fan. And baseball's just kind of always been what we did together. Trips were often centered around going to a baseball game, and I've just always loved it. And I just kind of decided I wanted to work for a team. <laughs> and I was told sales was a great way to, to get into the industry. So you lucky,
0: <laughs> and it's certainly worked out. Since had the, had the pandemic not occurred, we had mentioned you had gotten promoted. Where would your focus have been? How different would it be now versus
1: the current situation?
4: It's hard to say. I think with this pandemic going on, um, I, I almost think it's given me a little more opportunity to just kind of go for things. Everyone's doing a million different things at any given time, and I think. I've gained a little more confidence in my decision making, and just saying, "All right, we need to do this," <laughs> and someone just says, "Okay, cool, go do it." I would never say this has been a this has been a great thing, but um, <laughs> I think in some regards, it has given given me an opportunity to just be a little more forthright and go for stuff.
0: And do you see yourself as an example or a role <laughs> model, so to speak? I mean, there's.
4: Whoa. I don't know we've got a lot of i i still look up to most of the other women in our department i mean chanda's amazing danny Docs is out on the field now sydney um who took over my role in amateur i mean she goes to games she goes and scouts so i we have some cool some cool people in the office and i just hope um you know i think we'd all say we kind of learn from each other so that's the best best way i can answer that question <laughs>
0: Well, continue growth and success, and hopefully you're, we're all in a normal environment sooner than later.
4: I hope so. Please, manager
0: of Major League Baseball operations Sam Byerly. Now, you may know when Brandon Lauhomers, homers, a donation is made to the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. Joining us, their CEO Clara Reynolds. And Clara, thanks for being with us. How much does what Brandon and his wife Madison are doing help the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay?
5: Well, Neil, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I can't say enough about the generosity of the Rays. Uh, Foundation, as well as um, Brandon and Madison Lau, They have just been amazing. Of course, the financial assistance is, like every nonprofit, is so incredibly important. But what is even more important for us is the awareness that they are bringing to behavioral health issues, suicide prevention awareness, all of those things you know, to have somebody as high profile as Brandon take this on as a passion project and be able to talk about it is so very important, particularly in light of the world and where we are now in this pandemic. So many people are struggling in a variety of areas, but anxiety and depression really are the, some of the forefront of, of issues that folks are struggling with. And to have somebody like Brandon, you'll know, be able to freely talk about that it's just, it's it's beyond, um, it's beyond incredible, I, truly.
0: And in this day and age to have an athlete come out and do that and acknowledge that, you know, mental health is a very personal issue to him and his family, while he hasn't gotten into all the details of it, I, I would guess it certainly means a lot and hopefully kind of uh, allows others to be comfortable at least speaking or, or going to someone if they need
5: help. Neil, I couldn't agree with you more. I think by um, having these conversations and having this be a regular conversation is what is so helpful for individuals because so many of us struggle with behavioral health type of issues, but there's still so much negative stigma attached to it as if it's some sort of fault of your own and that by reaching out for help, you're somehow weak or you should just you know, lift yourself up by your proverbial bootstraps or whatever that is. And with Brandon's assistance uh, of reaching an audience that quite frankly, you know, many of us in the behavioral health community just can't touch He is doing so much to not just help the crisis in our Tampa Bay, but behavioral health organizations and I think physical health organizations across our community because he's creating opportunities to have these really important conversations, you know, during during a baseball or, you know, during all of these different times. So it has been so, so very valuable for us. So, for people
0: who are unfamiliar with the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, what are the specific areas that you focus on as a group? Who do you try and help?
5: So, our mission is to ensure that no one in our community has to face a crisis alone. And you know, sometimes when you use the word crisis, people get a little uncomfortable. We define crisis as simply a life's problem that needs a solution, and we're going to help you find that solution. And the easiest way to reach the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay is is calling three simple numbers two one one 211 is available everywhere across the United States. There are organizations like the Crisis Center that exist that can provide a a whole host of information, referral, but also emotional support, behavioral support. Uh, We also answer several hotlines for our community, including the suicide prevention hotline, a line for veterans and for teens and young adults, parents of young children, everything in between. We're also our community certified rape crisis center. So when somebody is sexually assaulted in Hillsborough County, they come to our clinic as opposed to an ER, which in this day and age is so very important. We have trauma counseling, as well as run a 911 um, ambulance service that works with City of Tampa Fire Rescue. So all of these things are really to ensure again, that no one in our community has to face a crisis alone.
0: That's a lot of different areas that you touch. So in a normal year, How many calls are you receiving annually through all those different avenues?
5: We'll receive anywhere between 115 to 120,000 calls that come into our into our hotline. Um, we are, you know, very very proud of the work that we are able to do in our community, but particularly during a pandemic. You know, we started tracking COVID-specific calls uh, at the end of February, and as of July 31st, we had taken over 8,000 calls from people here in Hillsborough County just on COVID-19. Many of those calls were related to anxiety, worry, concern about the virus, about the impact of the virus. Uh, But then in April, those calls really started to shift. And many folks were calling us because they were in some serious economic issues. Um, They were really struggling figuring out how they were going to be able to pay their rent, how they were going to be able to put food on their table, how they were going to educate their children. And so calls that used to take us maybe seven minutes to answer were taking upwards of 15 to 20 minutes because folks were calling and they just needed an opportunity to be heard. And that's one of the other important things that we do is allow individuals just to talk, to be heard, to, to really have somebody listen to their voice. Sometimes that's as imp- impactful as anything else that we can do. Um, so again, I will tell you since the month of July, though, we have certainly started to see an increase in the number of people reaching out uh, through the uh, suicide uh, prevention helpline. Uh, We've taken um, nearly 300, over 300 calls on that hotline just in the month of July alone, which is about a 54% increase than what we had seen in previous months. So those are telling us that this behavioral health tsunami that we know is approaching because of COVID-19 and the uncertainty and the uh, lingering impact it is starting to hit us now, and um, and again, you know, to take this back to Brandon, Brandon is giving individuals an, a, a voice and really showing them that it is okay to reach out for help and that you don't have to face any of this stuff alone.
0: So again, let's reiterate where people can go for help, but also let's say if people are in a good place right now and they want to help because it sounds like your needs are greater and um, you need more support and you're a nonprofit.
5: We are a nonprofit organization that if you if you're in need of support out there, you can call 211 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or you can go to our website, and that is www.crisiscenter.com. And if you want to help us, if you are in a position that you can assist us in any way, there is opportunities on our Facebook or on our website, as well as all of our social media uh, to be able to assist us. And again, getting the word out is what is the most important thing. And two one one is truly our community's gateway to help, hope, and healing.
0: Clara Reynolds, we certainly appreciate some time. You guys are truly hitting a. A home run in the community, it's great that Brandon Lau's home runs are helping your organization.
5: Thank you so much, Neil. And again, huge thanks to the Rays Foundation as well as to Brandon and Madison Lau for their support.
0: That's Clara Reynolds of the Crisis Center at Tampa Bay. We appreciate her support and our guests on the program today. And also thanks to our producer, Derek DuBose. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show's next on the Rays Baseball Network.